Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our second episode of Nicholas Nickleby, the miniseries brought to you by Cup of Hemlock. Uh, I am your marketing manager and co-host of this duet review, Mackenzie, and I am joined by our literary manager, resident dramaturg, and my co-producer of all things The Cup, including this miniseries, Mr. Ryan Barakovich. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Mac. Nice to rejoin you one week later. <laughs> yes, Continue one week discussing later. this production. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes. For anybody just tuning in, uh, Ryan and I are covering the 1983 filmed version of the RSC production of Nicholas Nickleby. We're doing this through Broadway HD, and Broadway HD has broken it down uh, hour by hour. Uh, uh, this, is, this is normally an eight, nine hour play. Broken it, broken into two parts, and Broadway she's broken it into our segments. So we are on hour number two of our epic watch of this epic play. So Ryan, why don't we first kind of catch our audiences up on what's happened well, first? First, before we do that, what is in your cup? Oh my goodness, Ryan! <laughs> you know it's so early in the morning. I still haven't finished my yeah. cup of Earl Grey tea for my official uh, the cup of hemlock cup. Ooh, fancy. And how about you, good sir? What is in your cup? Well, I too have my official the cup of hemlock cup. Oh, actually, not the one with the cup on the background, just just the cup of hemlock logo. <laughs> um, and I am drinking coffee from Ooh. it. So, yeah, it's morning. <laughs> we are doing this one bright and early. Also, we, we should clarify for anyone who is, in fact, just tuning in now, you can watch episode one of the series by clicking on something that's popping up yes. in the top corner of the screen. Don't know where I'm pointing. Yes. And, and we will put a link to Broadway HD's viewing of the actual production if you would like to follow along week by week with us. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's catch everybody up. So last week, uh, we... Met, we we kind of got introduced to a lot of... Exactly. <laughs> Previously. So previously, uh, we started our tale, Nicholas Nickleby and his mother and sister, Kate, uh, arrived in London to see his uncle, Ralph, uh, because uh, Nicholas Nickleby's father had died. Uh, when he arrived in London, uh, Ralph sent Nicholas Nickleby off to Yorkshire to go work for Mr. Squeers at his Mr. school. Squeers. Mr. Squeers. Um, and, at, and at the school, he met his good friend, uh, Smike. Uh, so that was happening there. Uh, and then in the meantime, uh, uh, Ralph moved, was, was planning to move Kate and, 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 um, and, uh, and Nicholas Nickleby's mother out of their current lodgings with uh, Ms. Uh, LaCreeby, the, the painter, yeah. the, the portrait right. painter. Who I'm glad got to have a little cameo in this episode. I was worried we'd never see her again. And she oh, specifically me, she comes back quite a bit. She, she, well, she, they're she, they're she clearly back, so. hinting at that because she even says, like, as they're doing their mournful goodbye, like, you can't shake me off so easily. I shall see you often. Come and call. <laughs> like yes. she, yeah, because she's a fun character. So I'm glad she they're is. not just, yep, she's gone. She is yeah. elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. No, don't worry. She'll, don't worry. She'll be making a comeback. Back. So that was kind of what happened to that episode. I mean, we got to see how Mr. Squeers runs his horrible school, feeding his children molasses and brimstone, feeding them, uh, basically uh, extorting these, these these children's families for money, 
and then at the end, um, Nicholas Nickley meets Smike, or actually kind of meets meets him up in the attic, and they kind of have a connection with each other. And then, uh, yes. and the and and the, and then we get right into this episode. So, Ryan, where does this episode start? So this episode. <laughs> is kind of broken into sections a little bit. The first sort of extended uh, section of it is this, we could call it a weird double date mm-hmm. <laughs> between with Nicholas and Squeers' daughter, Fanny, mm-hmm. uh, who he does not realize that he's dating, but yes. she seems to think that he's <laughs> madly in love with her. Uh, and her friends, Tilda and John, are having this weird double date in the attic while her parents are away. Yes. <laughs> and yeah, so there's this like strange comic sequence of, I guess you could call it dramatic irony, Uh, of uh, yeah nicholas having no idea that this girl is so obviously into him he's just so hilariously oblivious but he's also yeah but he's also very attracted to her friend tilda who is yeah much prettier and uh, but is also there with her fiance john who's a real rough and tumble guy played by as we just determined before we started filming Mm -hmm. Bob Peck, who keen-eyed viewers might remember as Muldoon from Jurassic Park, the clever go guy. Yes. yes. Yeah, so that was Shoot a fun Shooter! <laughs> so, you know, clever go, indeed, mm-hmm. it might be summing up his, you know, side-eye glances at his fiance flirting with our protagonist. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, so uh, they have this weird, like, awkward card game. Uh, What were they playing? Were they playing bridge? I assumed it was bridge. I've never played bridge myself to, like, recognize the signifiers. I've played it a few times, and I think that's what it is. I think so, because, like, they were playing for a certain number of hearts and things like that. And and you you do play that game in pairs. You do need, yeah, you, uh, you do need a pair. Um, to, yeah, so to, they to were do doing. Game. So they were doing. We'll like say bridge. Nice little, yeah, card game with partners. Yeah. Nicholas was very quick to say, "Hey, Tilda, you'll be my partner." Yes. <laughs> Fanny, you? No, thank you. Um, <laughs> and they were like doing weird, flirty stuff with like yes. the ooh, two hearts, hearts. You say <laughs> diamonds? <Yeah>. Ooh, <laughs> <laughs> um, much to the chagrin of their dates. Yeah, um, very much. Yeah, so. so then, rude words are exchanged. Big fight between the ladies. They yes. reconcile. Uh, then <laughs> Nicholas goes out to brood as he does because he's so moody. Uh, he's he a teenager. Runs into these. Yeah, kind of. He's like what nineteen. He he's basically yeah. an adult. <laughs> yeah, but we all yeah. know how moody like young like nineteen, eighteen year olds can be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, he goes off. There. So he goes off to brood when he runs mm-hmm. into the ladies again. Yes, and, and Fanny decides to faint onto him, which is oh. really funny because <laughs> it knocks him right over. He is yeah. not prepared to catch her. Um, yes, and then when she makes her attraction to him even more known than she mm-hmm. had very unsubtly done prior, 
he absolutely destroys her, <laughs> kind of, with like this weird ranty monologue about how he couldn't even begin to think to find her attractive. <laughs> like, wow. Yes. That was like a moment for me that was like, are we supposed to like him? Because like, sure, <laughs> she's unappealing and overbearing and, you know, her parents are literal child abusers. But like, you know, and she seems to be cool with all of that. But like... <laughs> that that felt like it's a very real low blow yeah for our protagonist like yeah. <laughs> i i'm like i i hope he redeems himself i can't tell if either dickens or edgar or reese for that matter think he's supposed to be relatable and charming in that moment or is this like a wow dickish protagonist who will be redeemed by the end <laughs> well he was redeemed like a few scenes later with what happens with smike well, yes, but like those are kind of unrelated things. He seems to have a soft spot for Smike from the very beginning. He True. has to, to me as a protagonist, he has this weird sense of like blinders of this is a person I like and sympathize with. And this other person is subhuman. And like there's very little gray area between those two poles. And he like has a weird light switch brain about empathy, no empathy <laughs> and it's kind of just weird like i i don't think his you know sympathy for smike that we'll get to in a minute mm -hmm. really redeems the fact that wow you have no tact whatsoever in dealing with someone you're not attracted to who happens to have a crush on you you, you crazy guy yes <laughs> um so anyway that was a whole sequence there and then we mm -hmm. back to london we yes. follow up with kate who has recently taken up a job. Is it, are they milliners? Are they tailors or seamstresses? The, the book says they're milliners. Okay, so. According to I, my very big uh, <laughs> Dickens yeah. book, it says here, uh, Mr. Mitanelli, um, uh, Mr. Mitanelli is a dressmaker. A dressmaker. According to this book. Okay, uh, well, if you can't trust that book. <laughs> but, I mean, that being said, like, either way, he works with fabrics, he does clothing, he's a milliner, yeah. he's a he, he's a dressmaker, he, 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 that's, his, that's his thing. Yeah, so Kate has taken up employment with this couple that runs some kind of Thanks to her business. Uncle Ralph, who's, who sent yes. her there. And Ralph has business relations with these people, mm -hmm. the Mantellinis, who, yes. you know, from their immediate first appearance are just kind of ridiculous people, but in the fun they sort are. of charming way. Yes. <laughs> uh, Mr. Mantellini is just like a big foppish goof. And his <laughs> wife is introduced to us sobbing about how she thinks he's, you know, having an affair with someone else. And he assures yeah, the, her the other that Yeah. He assures her that he's not, and then instantly begins flirting with Kate. So, do we trust his honor? Probably not. Yeah. But then Mrs. Mantinelli goes into strict business mode right away. She, you know, which I thought was yes. like a great character turn for the performer who mm -hmm. plays her, which I wrote down her name, uh, Elma Whiteley. Yes, Elma Whiteley. Yeah. Yeah. We expect her to kind of just be like a sobbing kind of. Mm -hmm. fool from her introduction and then what's yes. that new employee okay business business like inter interesting it's, layers it's um it's very much like uh dickens took his characters at the sourberries who are the undertakers in oliver twist uh and he split them in half so 
You take the comedic aspect of the Sour Berries, give that to the Mandinellis. You take the horrible, abusive aspect of them and you give that to the Squeers. Is basically mm-hmm. what he's done. Is he's taken these this this combined character and broken them out in half, kind of taking their some of their traits going one way and some of their traits going the other way. Yeah, that was the first thing I thought. I was like, okay, more shopkeepers, more of these middle like lower middle class Londoners mm-hmm. that 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 you come across in in these Dickensian tales. Yeah, and it's like the fact that we kind of have these co protagonist siblings sort of gives. Mm-hmm a nice nuanced view of like two different types of yes. unfortunate labor conditions in yes. you know in, Victor- in the Victorian era but <laughs> it also uh would you know that same thought because as of yet at least Nicholas and Kate seem to be sharing protagonist duties it's sort of weird mm-hmm. that he gets the title i don't know if that i guess that's a complaint to dickens himself and maybe he yes eclipse her as the narrative goes on but you know, two episodes in, they seem to have pretty equal footing. So far in the book, too, they have very equal footing. Like, Dickens didn't kind of skimp out on her story. It is following that similar trajectory. Of yeah, and I like that we have... Between the two. And I like that we have a spunky female co-protagonist. It just, yeah, Dickens is always good at that. About. He has... Yeah, I mean, Dickens, like, works some very interesting female characters. Like, like, if you look at the Dickens canon, like, you have people like... um. Mrs. Haversham and her granddaughter, who I, for some reason, I'm totally blanking on her name right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Nancy, uh, but you also, then you also have Mrs. Sourberry, Widow Corny. Uh, Dorrit. Yeah, uh, who else do we have in this book here? Uh, you have, obviously, Bob Cratchit uh, and, and his wife, Mrs. Cratchit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel have... like most of the ones you, you are naming, those still are like side characters. <laughs> oh, and hold on. Well, hold on, you have Madame Defarge mm-hmm. um, and and, uh, and um, Lucy Manette and Miss Pross in Tale of Two Cities. They're pretty big characters. So so Dickens is not unfamiliar with ladies in his stories. Correct. He does. Yet, yet aside right, from Little Dorrit, I can't think of another one who's like actually has the title like of their. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They never have the title, but they're like either like secondary lead or like major supporting key plot characters that so, drive the story so so yeah Get on you dickens yeah anyway back to our summary so Correct. Kate, kate has never worked a day in her life and is mm-hmm. bad at this new job but hopefully she yeah. will you know well, that's why they put her out front in, in the front of the shop because she can't sew yeah but the lady the upper class ladies who are shopping there don't care for dealing with her because she's a klutz Yes. <laughs> so you know can't sew can't deal with the public oh no what will kate do i hope we find out in the next episode <laughs> but back <laughs> to yorkshire <Not> like fontaine <laughs> oh I, yeah i was concerned about that i raised that concern in the last mm-hmm. episode and we'll see where this is going yeah uh, but back I in yorkshire dream in time gone by <laughs> So once we have our little Kate interlude, we go back to Yorkshire. Yeah. Yes, we do. And Smike has run away. Oh no! I yes, but before he... that, there was a moment of the two of them of of Nickleby and Smike yes. up in the attic together again, um, having yes. a nice conversation that inspires him to run away. That's true. So at Nick- Nicholas being all like, "Yes, but I'm going to leave at some point," and you know, if 
and Spike was like, oh, if I leave too, less coherent than this, but if yes. I'll leave too, we can find each other and go off into our merry ways, adventures into the sunset. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and because Smike is one of the select few people that Nicholas has empathy for, he's cool with that plan. Um, but that, yeah, so Smike runs away and, you know, big calamity over at the not orphanage. Yes. And uh, the boarding school. Yes. And oh no. Mr. Squeers they, has a meltdown. Yeah, Squeers has a meltdown, but ultimately catches him, ties him by like the chin and hands to this like ladder contraption and yeah, begins yeah, spanking yeah, him with a hor- switch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a horrifying <laughs> contraption that they bring out there. When they first brought it out, I was like, what the hell is that thing? Because in the yeah. film version, they just only string them up. Uh, okay. So the fact that they had, that they had that fact that they had a they, they had a whole new contraption for this, yeah. I was like, wow, like, they really invested in this beating scene. And like, and like the kind of resting his chin yeah. on the top of it and like slapping Ooh. him with the switch. Like I imagine he's probably biting his tongue every single time mm-hmm. there's impact. Like mm-hmm. it was just doubling the pain of it. Like yes. yeah. So it's very much almost kind of like the classic um, uh, sawhorse fr- from the Spanish Inquisition. That was mm-hmm. very similar design. Basically, they would you'd slowly sit and then impale yourself on it. This time, they're just yeah. slowly strapping you to it and whipping you like crazy. So, yes, that moment happens. Where yes, but Nicholas people. is watching this, and he mm-hmm. will not take it anymore. So first, yeah. he tries to peacefully intervene and say, Mr. Squeal, he's had enough of this monstrosity. Yes. Terrible Roger Reese impression. Um, <laughs> but Mr. Squeers is mad and says, you get out of here, Nico Bay. Mm-hmm. But Nicholas, because he's so, so fed up. Empath- empathetic towards this one person in particular, it was what I was going to say, <laughs> um, <laughs> decides that, no, he will not stand by so he punches Squeers in the face, wrestles oh. the switch out of his hands, and beats Squeers with the switch himself, and creating a big ruckus among all the orphans and children mm-hmm. and whatnot. And yeah, Mrs. Then, Squeers and Fanny and, and, and the, and the yeah. fat child of yes, theirs. The whole, I forget the name. Yeah, the whole motley crew of the yes. Squeers house. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, Nicholas realizes that he can't stay there anymore so he goes on yes. the run and who Nicholas does, he does also get a, um, uh, Nicholas also yes. does get a, a slash to the face right, right. So. which I must say the blood effect on that happens way too quickly he gets yeah Squeers hits him on the face then he instantly has this huge bloody gash like that's not really how blood <laughs> happens I know so, but, but I mean the fact that they went for that like it did shock yeah. me when I watched it I was like oh wow like and I had to rewind well, to figure out how they got like how Roger Reese got the blood pack there because because it happens mm-hmm. so fast I was like if you just have it in his hand he just got yeah. his face with like a bloody handkerchief and that's how he kind of got it I, I don't how know I imagine yeah maybe he had something like up in his sleeve to squirt it across his face maybe but yeah very maybe. very quick gash yes. that just like well, it yeah. makes sense. Like it's it's, it's like a, a birch stick, so 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 it's, it's kind of a very it, it would be a quick slash to you because it's not like a it's not like a club he's hitting them with. It's a no. It's it's, it's, a, it's like almost like a riding crop. Yeah, type, type tool. So either way, mm-hmm. so so he gets hit. He runs away. Uh, he runs away uh, after the tussle. And whoosh! And then on his way out, he runs into two people separately. First, yes. oh no, 
it's John, the guy whose fiance, fiance he was, was flirting, flirting with a couple <laughs> scenes ago. Yeah. It's like, uh oh. And like, you know, the music is very tense, and you're like, oh no, yeah. he's being pursued by John from earlier, who's going to bring him with back to Squeers. He's holding a club with something that looks yeah. like a club, at least. Yeah, um, it's a club. So, but, but, but it's like an old, like, gnarled yeah. piece of wood that's yeah. that he's with, so, with a little club. So when John catches up to Nicholas, Nicholas puts up his dukes to defend himself. I've already yes. hit one man today. And John wasn't pursuing him at all. He's just like, hey, you're the guy I met the other day. What a funny <laughs> coincidence. <laughs> and, when, and when Nicholas in order to kind of peacock out and defend himself, says that he beat the schoolmaster. John thinks this is just like the funniest thing he ever heard. <laughs> so he's like laughing, like, this is amazing. You're like my new hero, even though you were flirting with my fiance like a day ago. <laughs> um, but cool, good on you, knuckle boy. Um, here, take mm-hmm. some money. And Nicholas yes. is like, oh, I have to refuse your money because I'm so proper. But it's like, you have literally no money. Take some money and take my fancy stick. Um, yes. So, you know, don't judge a book by its cover because we thought John is a real brute and he's like, yeah, he's he's, he's not a bad guy. Out, so he's not, not a, bad. a bad guy. And, you know, and yeah, like Squeers is so dislikable that even like guy who's friends with his daughter, like thinks it's the funniest thing ever that somebody took <laughs> physical vengeance against him. So, yeah. uh, so yeah, so John goes on his way. Nicholas continues running away. And then who does Nicholas run into next? Is old boy Smike, who I guess has succeeded at escaping again. And there's like this nice little heartfelt moment between our our two buddy buds. And Smike mm-hmm. quotes Billy Joel and says, you are my home. And oh. uh, the two of them go off into the sunset together. Thus ends the play, or at least for now. Which is <laughs> nice, because once again, it's that symmetry of Ending on, like, once again, ending with Smike in, in Nickleby. Like, that's a nice yeah. kind of symmetry of the last episode ended the same way with them going, like, last episode ended with them meeting up. This episode ends with them heading off into the unknown together. Yeah. So we'll see and where I episode imagine. three ends. Will it always end with Smike? <laughs> well, yeah, so, like, there's still seven more parts of this, so this, like, happily going into the sunset. Clearly, they will have more life and adventures Oh, will, absolutely! You know, they create did. new obstacles. I, I'm sure. Yes. Like I'm, I remember I'm experiencing this for the first time. I've never seen yes. a previous mini series or film version. I haven't read the book, so yeah. Like this, if the play had just ended there, I'm like, okay, that's kind of like a cool, you know, two hour yeah. interesting little character study and the the heroes get away. Good job, but clearly more is in store for them. Yes, and, yeah, I, I imagine pacing wise, this would have been where the intermission happened in night one of the show. If, I don't think so, because according no? to the website, part one was four hours with um, with one interval of 15 minutes, it says at about two hours in. Oh, well, I guess that's true. So, yes, the, then, yes, we would have had this moment. Correct. You are correct. And this seems like the right moment for a break. So, like, I am glad the episode ends here. Like, we've had kind of a whole play's worth of story (laughs) sort of happen already over these two first installments. And yeah, I think this is like a nice little, okay, take a breath. We've had our one big action scene. We've, (laughs) you know, confirmed that our heroes are all right and on their way. And let's see what happens next. So, good episode, I must say. Like The false hope. 
oh, false hope. Don't give me that. <laughs> Spoilers. It's a uh, uh, OK. <laughs> I want to know. No, no sp- Speak, speaking of spoilers, I think I'll say something over how last week I mentioned that I was reading this book uh, by Karen yes. E. Laird, The Art of Adapting Victorian Fiction. Well, this book spoiled something for me <laughs> about the Oh, plot. what did it spoil for you? <laughs> well, I kind of don't want to spoil it here in okay. case uh, um, people watching. But it was well, interesting because, you know, you know, Laird is talking in this book about various, you know, Victorian adaptations of these Dickens novels that were being mass produced and pumped out quickly before the serialized publishing of the novel itself was done. Yeah. So they had to come up with endings. And, you know, one of the points, the one that turned out to be a spoiler for me, is that one of the playwrights successfully predicted a big plot twist <laughs> that occurs to do with Smike in particular. And Dickens yeah, okay. was. Oh. Okay, yeah, I know you, which one you you're probably know. About. Yeah, which that was a surprise to me reading it in that book. And, and yeah, so Dickens was quite infuriated by the fact that the playwrights did it out. and spoiled it. Like, and they spoiled it not realizing that it was correct. They just thought that would be an interesting dramatic twist, you know, because <laughs> they need to come up with interesting yeah. things to fill their play versions with before they know how Dickens intended to end it. Dickens was real mad that all the theater going public already knew his big plot twist. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and one thing we did forget to mention in this was that we got to know a little bit more about uh, Mr. Nobbs. Um, yeah, a little bit. He kind yeah, of, like he shows he's up an interesting character. He's yeah, an interesting yeah, character he, to me. He comes in and out, but like, well, never once again, they keep, they keep building him up in the story. Like, the, like he was one that brought Kate and and and, and um, Mom Nickleby there. Does like, she over... have a name, Mom Nickleby? She's I just. I don't think so. The mother. Or, yeah, she's the mother. She's the <laughs> mother. Let me mother? see. Let me, let me check the book. Nope, nope. She's literally referred to as Mrs. Nickleby in Mrs. the book. Mrs. Nickleby. <laughs> Yeah, so Bob it's just it's so awkward anytime we try to refer to her as yeah. you know Nicholas and Kate's mother, Mama Nickleby, Mrs. Yeah, like, no, Mama no Nickleby. Name. I'm going for that. Um, but yeah, like, like like he shows up there. There's a little bit more about him at work with uh, Ralph. So once again, like they keep building up the characters. So keep an eye yes. on him. Keep an eye. I, on I him. like so- how the opening narration made a point of stressing mm-hmm. that you know in their office together. He has to sit on a high top while Ralph is sitting in like a nice comfier low chair. It's very Bob Cratchit of him. It is like that's exactly what I was thinking. Like I was waiting for him to say, but sir, it's Christmas Eve. What of Tiny Tim? <laughs> I also do love like in the book, they make continued reference to the fact that Mr. Knob does the. like the OK, cracking. right. He, yeah, and he did that. I didn't know that that was a thing. I just like oh, but yeah. there was a very it's a thing right out of the book. It, 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 it's, it's a thing that he does right out of the book. So I was happy to see the keep this trait going. It wasn't just the one time in part one where he the actor did that hand thing, which is really impressive that he does it. It's like a well, yeah, it's so audible. Like I wonder if he has a special mic just for his knuckles, like potentially, <laughs> like, potentially hiding yeah. in his like shirt cuff, like to really get because yeah. Or did they get him into a folly studio after the fact that he just cracked his knuckles into a Probably. microphone that, for like an hour? <laughs> and then they put that, that in post. <laughs> that could be it. Because like, yeah, damn, no. is it audible? It's so audible. And I love it. I was like, oh, good. He actually got that little bit of the Dickens description of the character that he's this cherry nosed man that cracks his knuckles. 
So the fact that they do that. So then, Ryan, uh, just like our last episode where we talked about who our standout was uh, of the cast in the episode, who was your standout this week? Uh, it was an understated one, but it, it was one that I think kind of stole, quietly stole the show in every scene she was in. That was Janet Dale as Miss Nag, the sort of second command in the seamstress uh, place uh, underneath oh, Antonelli. Oh, okay, yes. Well, but that was one, kind of always mimicking the words. Yeah, finishing everyone's sentences, but just yes. like repeating the last word. Yeah. She was just like so funny. And it's the same performer who was playing one of the Snolly children in the orphanage scenes, or at least in ah, the first very good. Okay, uh, yes. was probably in the background of the yeah. of the Yorkshire scenes in this one. But yes. but yeah, like, but she was just so funny, and every, every single line of hers started with the last word of whoever she was talking to his previous <laughs> line, and she just had this like funny way with her, kind of like Miss Lacreeby, who I shouted out. Like in the previous episode. episode. Yeah. yeah, there's just these kind of like funny bitty lady characters in this who <laughs> just, you know, have so much personality at like what yes. seems like really small roles. And yes. yeah, I, I I was just really happy with like, you know, I, I can't tell yet if the Mantinelli's and their whole deal is going to be. Uh, I won't like, spoil it for you because I do know. Okay, well, more about their characters. Yeah, like I can't tell. Oh, was this going to be dangerously abusive, or is this going to be like a foil alternative to Nicholas's situation? Hard to say just yet. I'm sure more likely the former, but don't spoil it for I me or viewers at home um, who happen to be following along. Um, but yeah, I, I just thought she was a fun character, so mm -hmm. I, that that was my shout out for this week. Yeah. How about uh, you? I was uh, well. I will say for me, just like last week, how I should um Alan um Alan Armstrong as Mister Squeers. We're going to stick with the Squeers family, but this time we're going with Suzanne uh, Burtish as yes, Fanny, Fanny Squeers. Yeah, we she, briefly she encountered good. in the last episode, and this was really her moment to shine. And I mean, she was just uh, once again great comedic actress, great control of her face. In fact, she had, kind of has like her dad, the one kind of squinty mm -hmm. eye. That she's got there. She's and I mean, she's got the weird scar on her mouth that they gave her. Like she has a very distinct look to her, and just her her comedic reactions to things are great. Like the moment when she gets the tea spilt in her face, like all yeah. that great stuff on the on the double date. Like you said, the prat fall faint that she does. That's very over the top. And yeah. but the, but but then when she's but then when she goes evil at the end, she goes like full on like evil hag, which is like great. It was like. Okay, I get why yeah. you're the way you are right now, but at the same time, you are like really ratcheting this up here with like what you're writing to, to Uncle Ralph there, like. Mm -hmm. But uh, what's yeah. it? Just a great comedic turned villain character that that, that yeah. uh, we got this villain origin story within <laughs> within this piece. It was great. Uh, I was like, I get you. I, I and I agree. She was really funny. Like she kind of reminded me of like a you know, circa six years ago, Kristen Wiig SNL character, sort of like yes. most of the time, like in her yes. very like funny mannerisms and like yes. speech patterns and, yes. you know, the way she was, she's fawning over Nicholas. like, And he just like completely does not yeah. compute. Like, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it had like a real SNL vibe to yeah. it, which I thought was funny. It, and it yeah. totally did. And she, yeah, I, and because I really don't sympathize with Nicholas's harsh, 
refutation of her. Like, I don't know if this is so much because the performer herself is bringing in like the sympathy here, or if it's just wow, our protagonist is so unsympathetic in this moment that I he can't was help very feeling uns- for her. Yeah, I mean, once again, like Dickens does a great job with all his protagonists of not making them totally heroic. They are very gray protagonists, like Sidney Carton in, in Tale of Two Cities. He's a drunkard. And it's not till the very end of the novel that he has this big uh, moment of redemption, which we're not going to spoil in case you've never read Tale of Two Cities. Because it <laughs> which is I great. Haven't, but I, I, I know the basic plot outline here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, I mean, Dickens was very good at writing characters who are human. Like, they're not these uh, Superman characters. They are people who are flawed. I mean, like, well, I mean, we could talk about this now, but the very famous punch uh, that Nicholas Nickleby has mm-hmm. yeah, is let's a very talk about I- punch. Yeah, I mean, well, it's it's not on the poster. Uh, it is on, it is on the poster, but I don't have the poster behind yeah, me today. Just tilt, tilt your head back yeah, so but, people can see what you're. But like here, yeah. you have the illustration of the beating scene where Nicholas yes. is fighting back against Mister Squeers. You can see him there. We got Missus Squeers with her broom uh, there. <laughs> I'm in reverse. Yep. There, there she is. So you have all that going on, and then like even in this lovely book. Ugh, you even have this scene hunch. Yeah, so this like, I, I will say... an iconic moment from the book. I will say, because I guess I just went into this knowing very little about the plot beats of this novel, like, I didn't know specifically that was coming to me. I didn't realize that that was a famous punch until you described mm-hmm. it as such. Like, it makes sense that that is certainly the most action-packed plot point we've had so far, and like, ooh, big pivots. It's a turning point in the story. Happening. And it is like a cathartic moment, I guess, for anyone who's been in one of these abusive, boring schools to like, uh, wouldn't you have loved to just sock the innkeeper in the face or <laughs> whatever you call him? Um, yeah, so, headmaster, you know, yeah. This is kind of like a Tarantino revenge fantasy playing out in Victorian England, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah and, I mean, and I mean, it's very famous in the book because like back then, like you never punched a teacher. So the fact that like you have this character who is like full on just given wailing on this half blind uh headmaster who is abusive so like take that with very abusive um, like i remember when we did our episode on pipeline by dominic morso yes. like we had a big discussion on our panel about you know was it justified for omari to shove his teacher and right. you know there there was some like you know mixed feelings of the group but i don't think anyone has mixed feelings in this case about yeah, no, like, Mr. Square's was it okay for nick yeah, well, because yeah, he was literally inflicting physical violence upon yes. not not even a student is like yeah. Smike is an employee to him, right? He's not yes. even like one of the correct students at the school. Yeah, not anymore. Um, yeah, like, regardless. Like, now he's become a um like a like a lackey for for the for the squeers that yeah. they get to beat on. And like um, he is mentally challenged, at least in this production, mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not he, he is. is in the, book or other adaptations well and the like, book yeah, is described so just, as half-witted so yeah which, which we can take as mentally slang for yeah. mentally handicapped of some yes. kind but um yeah but yeah but yeah let's do our our, our squeers check it or our, sorry not squeers our smike check-in because last episode we yeah, briefly touched on him uh and, and we didn't, and we didn't get, get too much into his portrayal as done by uh david uh uh thurfall uh sorry yes thurfall who people will know, uh, Thruffle. 
Um, he starred alongside Jude Law in the in the thriller Black Seed. So if anybody's seen the thriller Black Seed with Jude Law from 2014, he was in that. I have not. Uh, <laughs> but Jude Law was in a lot of movies for like a decade. He was like in he everything. was. He was. Uh, he also was in Elizabeth the Golden Age as okay, John D. Who I cool. don't know who John Very D was. I assume, <laughs> yeah. I, I assume he was one of the assassins that 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 Trump comes to try to shoot Elizabeth, I think, is where he comes in with that. Uh, he, he has a lot more TV stuff. Um, yeah, that's uh, the thing. It's always kind of uh, interesting. He was in Ripper Street, uh, Troy, Fall of a City, Bing. Uh, he did Shameless from 2004 to 2013. Where he played Frank Gallagher. I, I've never watched that show. I imagine if people recognize him from anything, it'll probably be that if he had a recurring or main role on that. He did, but it's not the sh- but it's not the shameless the one that we think of with um Emmy Rossum. Oh, no. the, it's, it, 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 it is the British comedy show, Shameless. Oh. Interesting. Well, you know, all of our friends from across the pond, <laughs> if you recognize him from the British comedy Shameless. Yes. So anyway, so yes, he is playing uh, Smike in this. And last episode, I had said I wasn't fully sold on his performance as Smike. Um, so update on this front. I'm still not sold. Uh, I still think he's playing this character as too handicapped. Like the thing is, like, well, he's like- supposed to be mentally handicapped, but he's not supposed to be like Igor from Frankenstein, where he's hunchback, bow-legged drooling like i i i he's someone who is he sells the hell out of that drool i will say that he does (laughs) he does but it but i feel this is like the 80s version of how they looked at people with um special needs or learning disabilities and to watch this now this is the one area of the story where i'm like i don't know we want to do it this way Like, like we were directing this now i think there's a much more subtle better way we could go about See, I, for the most part, agree with you. I agree with you for the most part, but I kind of, like, he is at the height of his abuse right now, or at least hopefully this is the height, and it doesn't increase as the story goes on. Like, Mm -hmm. so he's so beaten down, like, literally and metaphorically, and, like, you know, his joints probably hurt all over. That could maybe account more for like the posture and the, you know, the failing of the limbs. I'd be curious to see as we continue these Smike check-ins, if he sort of comes more into like his own. I hope he does. I hope he does. But I also feel like that could be concerning with the way they've characterized him so far. Cause it kind of just says like, uh, you know, whatever sort of neurodivergence Mm -hmm. he has can be cured just by getting away from your bad (laughs) setting your environment Mm -hmm. and like that could be a slippery slope like i kind of think it is what it is this is a product of the 80s we would know better now and more contemporary adaptations probably do a better job of this well i mean like we watch the 2002 film with jamie bell where jamie bell plays smike and it's a very i i he he is like he doesn't play him as this bow-legged, drooling uh, man. Like, like he is someone who had clearly has suffered abuse and isn't um, the sharpest knife in the drawer, and, and, and that does require other people's assistance. But he isn't like what uh, David has done here, where 
It's like if, if if Nicholas wasn't around to look after this kid who's run away, I would be seriously concerned for his well-being. Jamie Bell at least can believe that there on some level he is smart enough and physically able enough to get away twice and is able well, to kind of survive a bit. But I think it's kind of it's worth. I don't know if that's a flaw that we'd be very concerned for him on his own, because that sort of raises the stakes of why these two need each, each other, other or why Smike needs Nicholas. Mm-hmm. And like it kind of it's sort of the walking around with a baby through the apocalypse sort of trope yes. of uh, like baby Yoda. We could say for the most recent example, sorry, Grogu. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, like it, it is something vulnerable that requires our protagonists constant vigilance and protection because mm-hmm. we know that Smike wouldn't be okay on his own. I, I use the term save the cat kind of glibly mm-hmm. <laughs> in our last episode, but yeah, we have a real sort of save the cat moment here much yes. more uh, literally. Well, not literally because he's not a cat, but yeah, it is. He is this kind of symbol of pure innocence that does require Nicholas's help if he is going to make it in this world and not yeah. just get caught again because when he tried escaping on his own, he didn't last as long as he was very easily pursued and brought back. Yeah. So now yeah, so very true, very go true. better yeah. this time with Nicholas by his side. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so. I mean, I mean, we'll, we will keep tracking um, our Smike. Yeah, Smike how, check-in. Smike check-ins to kind of see what, what we're thinking of this part. Because I think this will be the most challenging and, and um, divisive performance that people will watch and kind of go, they either like this portrayal or they go, this is just bad 80s here. Which, I mean, no, it's, it's not only bad on the other. Like, the fact that he physically does this, and this is, he's one of the few people who, like Roger Reese as Nicholas Nickleby, only plays one character. So, yeah. Well, and I think it would be very challenging for him to fluctuate characters like he's yeah. in it. Like, oh, yeah. That, yeah. Like, and I don't know if it's like Roger, he's just only has one role because he's just in it so much. We'll kind of see as it, it mm-hmm. seems like he's certainly becoming a much more central character. Um, yeah. And, and I think these Smike check-ins will just become much more fluidly integrated as we go, yes. because I imagine our entire, at least the next chapter will be all about, you know, our two like, on the road. buddy road trip yeah yeah kind of i was gonna call it like buddy road trip comedy but i feel like is it a comedy probably not there might be some humorous movies there will be some humorous movies for sure of course but these two definitely have some challenges ahead of them but it's not you know i think the the whole idea of the smite check-in came from the place of in the first episode he was very peripheral and what's going on with this guy who Mm -hmm. is probably important but we're not sure why yet so yes uh, um, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, okay, okay. So let, now let's get into adaptation check, because just like sure. last episode, uh, I am currently the literary manager for this series, because uh, I am reading along in the book, and I can now say that I, the book and, and the book and, and the play have now caught up to each other. Last week we were a little bit ahead. Like I had gotten up to the fact that Nicholas Nickleby and Smike had headed off down the road together. Uh, okay, so you I haven't think. you haven't read any more of the book no since no. last week. Okay, yeah. so because so, I read yeah, so far ahead that I that I was like, okay, I, I, I could take a breather this week, work on some other projects that we have to do. So I was like, okay, that's okay, we can we, we can breathe here. And now and now this weekend I'll do some more reading or listening to my audio. Yeah, 
Um, but either yeah, way, like that's like, a it's been a very, like once again, it, yeah, it's it's a very faithful ad- adaptation. Still, like the description they give for the new lodgings for Mama Nickleby and and Kate's the drafty apartment, right out of the book. Once again, like this adaptation very clearly takes direct dialogue and direct descriptions from the book. Uh, some of the like internal speaking, like Nichols has uh, the to, to camera in this version is once again some internal monologue that we do get from the book. So that is still very much following the book in the sense of the the uh, elements of the story. So we we're, we're, we are not diverging. There's been no major uh, bits of the story that have been cut yet. I mean, obviously they've shrunken some of the stuff, like con- consolidated it so it's not as long in the book. But I, I, I just how like in the first part, like the the chapter on crumpets and muffins was greatly shrunk when we got to the play. Um, so there's a little bit of that, but like we still like we're still basically following all the beats of the story. Uh, so so yeah. far that's good. I mean, I know Ryan, you were concerned about the narration, and I found there was a lot less well, of it this time. Certainly less in that, like the the book that I quoted that line from last mm-hmm. time by Vincent Murphy, like certainly did attest to the fact that it has to front load a lot of kind of information, and then as yeah. it goes on, it certainly becomes more expedient. I still don't love the device of <laughs> the flea bag in third person, as we can call it, where, yes. you know, t- turning to camera to directly monologue on your thoughts, but doing <laughs> it from the perspective of an, of an omniscient third person narrator. Like, <laughs> I, I get that it's a creative choice and I'm not yeah. going to be like, why would they do this? Like, I understand the reason. Why, I just, John Garrett? Why, Trevor Nunn? Why would you well, do it, such a thing? It's it's more David Edgar than anyone. Like a, this is a script decision, but like yes. I, I do think that yeah, it's just it kind of something about it rubs me the wrong way. And I think I would be I like and it comes from a place of fidelity of like the book mm-hmm. has a third person narrator and this is how we retain mm-hmm. that sense of omniscience, but mm-hmm. omniscience. But when you do put it in the voices of the actors, say, well, Nicholas was very concerned that this woman seems to be attracted to him, but he doesn't understand. Like, I I think a more impressive move in adaptation would be to take those passages and be what do they sound like in Nicholas's own first person? And Mm -hmm. let's hear his actual thoughts from his voice. Mm -hmm. And same Mm -hmm. with Kate, same with whoever else we get them from, as opposed to just, yep copy paste this whole chunk of text and give it to roger because he <laughs> happens to be on stage right now like yes <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so i i i'm gonna have to make peace with it like i think it is just what it is but i was hoping that it would grow on me more and two episodes in it still hasn't uh, well we got another eight to go or no yeah seven. We, 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 we have another seven to go so yes and if they do become less and less obtrusive as it goes on, it'll be yes. easier to make peace with. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, I will kind of be curious if a lot of the things that were heavily, you know, narrated in the mm-hmm. first chapter, like yeah. if they ever do really pay off. And then that kind of does raise the question of how necessary was it to have all that narration mm-hmm. at the beginning? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the opening greek yeah. chorus all about how ralph came about his money like we could that just i agree that you, you you do need a little bit of that course in the opening to kind of get the story moving and that is once again pulled right from the first chapter of the book so that so, so it was very kind of i do i do agree with that opening narration but like, the other ones it's like oh yeah like first episode they were way heavier with it like i i like i i hope it's a diminishing 
narr- like narration return where it's like yeah. as we get further along, like because the scenes that didn't have the narrations, they moved. Like, yeah. like they were easy to follow. They had a good pace to them. Because it's like, drama, like it's dramatized. They take things yeah. that might have been long slugs of narration <laughs> and just mm-hmm. like quickly put it into voices yes. of characters through dialogue. And that's that's mm-hmm. what playwriting for the most yeah. part is. Mm-hmm. Like yes. and so I find it is often used as a crutch in places yes. where it doesn't need to be. Yeah. Um yeah, like I and I think a lot of it kind of and this is why I sort of do pin it on David Edgar more so than um None like certainly not yeah, and certainly not the actors themselves either. They're, you know, just reading the script and I don't know to what extent they had like input in the workshopping of this. Um, but yeah, it, it to me, it feels like a mistrust of the actors on the part of the playwright mm. and the directing like to, you know, how will we know that Nicholas isn't attracted to Fanny if he doesn't just turn and tell us like we can <laughs> tell from acting and, you know, body language. And I think it yeah. comes from a place of fear that will this read mm-hmm. is the actor talented enough to convey this and yeah. i don't think we need all of that yes very mm-hmm. true and then uh one more new segment i'm adding in to this sure is our lame is check-in because as we <laughs> because as we did in the last episode where we acknowledge that this is the same creative team that will go on and do lame is a few years from yeah. When and they that did it's this. very, very similar plot wise. Yes, correct. <laughs> similar plot wise, it has very similar costumes. Even has some of the same actors who will go on to be in Les Mis. So, so I, can I kick off our Les Mis check in yes. here? Yes. Yes. What is our Les Mis check? What was the first thing that stood out to you as a parallel? Smike is Cosette. Ooh, that's a, I didn't catch that one. That's a good because one. Because if Nicholas is our Valjean, who does he save from the Tenardiers, the Squeers? Yeah. Yes. yeah very good very i didn't true. see i didn't see that coming last time but now that we are following this thread of intertextuality like that that's <laughs> yeah you know so that's I, a good i'm looking one. forward to a i'm looking forward to a scene set 10 years from now when smike <laughs> is being courted by someone and nicholas doesn't know if he can trust the suitor <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah no i didn't catch that one the one the one i caught was Clearly, uh, the the end of the day sequence was pulled from Nicholas Nickleby with, with, with the um, Mantinelli um, staff, like the female staff mm-hmm. that all come in in yes. their work shirts and and aprons and the, and the head and the head shawls. Like I was like, mm-hmm. oh wow, did they really just like take the same costumes? Like it's like literally they all came in. I was like, and I was like, dun 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 dun. dun, dun. <laughs> I was like. Uh, and I was like, okay, so the next episode, we're definitely going to get some more of these women picking on Kate, a- aka our Fontaine, um, yep. in this situation. Kate is definitely Fontaine. There's no kind of two ways yeah. about that. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and your highlight character from that will obviously be the factory woman who steals the letter. So like, there, there's yeah. some great, there, yeah. So like, that was like another one where I was like, okay, we got that going now. Um, so like, so like, there was that parallel. I was like, okay, clearly we're pulling some more stuff from that part of the story um yeah and then i mean now you say like smite pulling the cosette moment from that and actually even the well, fact we, that they walk off hand in hand i was like that's how that sequence ends in in in, in lame is too like valjean walks off with cosette on the turntable and then it transitions to the to the paris 10 years later yeah like 
I think it was easy to miss one because Smike is not a little girl. So True. it's not like the clear one-to-one comparison, but it also it's a different setup for that rescue, yeah. even if it True. plays off the same way, insofar as Valjean wasn't also a resident at the Tenardiers when he decided yeah. that he's going to right. leave with Cosette. He shows up and just be like, you know, I am here on behalf yeah. of <laughs> Yes. Te- yeah, ter- oh! terrible attempt at a Valjean impression. <laughs> oh, here, I have another one I just figured out now. Um, the whole um, uh, Nickleby and Squeer uh, sequence in this is very similar to what happens with Valjean when he gets out on parole and he starts tussling <laughs> with people in the village before the bishop <laughs> comes in and saves him. There, there, yeah, there's kind that, of. There, there, there's that very famous uh, line of... Um, like a cur, I walk the street, uh, not worth the dirt beneath their feet, is at, is the lyric, and it's that same thing of, oh yeah, and then he, then he gets into fights with the innkeeper, he gets into fights with the with the farmer that la- that he labors for. And I was like, oh yeah, like this is a very similar, so which in a way yeah. this is, you yeah. know, because this comes before Lane is in like the yes. you know the production history, yeah. like it's kind of an interesting economy of detail too make all of those random characters also the Tenardiers. Yeah, like, that is true. Conflating these things better than, like, a little better economy there. Um, well, I mean, once again, I, this is, I, I, you can see why Karen McIntosh turned to this group and said, let's mount yeah. this French opera, basically, uh, yeah. together. And it's, a, and, it, and it's like, you couldn't have picked a better team at, at that time. I mean, you got John well, yeah, Garrett, they had Trevor the Nunn, chops for it. John Napier, like, and Nicholas B was big. So everybody knew about mm-hmm. this production. I'm sure Cameron McIntosh went and saw it. So I'm sure he was like, I need oh, yeah. somebody for this. And, and it's, like, and it's all RSC. Like, it's the yeah. same. You know, I, I don't think he had to, like, approach them specifically. I think it was kind no. of a no-brainer. Well, that yeah. Who do we have on the RSC staff who's perfectly equipped well, for this? Like, I think if I remember correctly, Trevor Nunn and John Kerr were leading the RSC at the time. And that's yeah, I, th- I think you're right did, about uh, that. So. Yeah, it, it was kind of, kind of like a Des Mackinoff, Antonichi Molino situation uh, with mm-hmm. the two of them kind of leading the company. So. They they yeah. kind of teamed so, up again, but yeah, that, that's our lame is check-in. Like, well, before we leave the lame okay. is check-in, I hinted at this one last time, and it certainly okay. has paid off here. Speaking of just the Tenardier squeers comparison, yeah. Fanny is Eponine, very clearly, like a True. less sympathetic Eponine. It's like a, a what if Eponine was, but like what if Eponine was like super gross and unappealing and Marius has very good reason to not be into her like as opposed to the actual Eponine is just like oh no Marius what are you doing she's obviously the perfect choice well I mean like in the book Eponine is described more as a fanny character like she's supposed to be very homely not supposed to look as beautiful as she does when she's played by many many a stunning actress whether it's Leia Salonga um Francis Raphael, Samantha Park. Like, yeah, like they that, only yeah. cast attractive people to play Eponine, and like maybe yes. that isn't the best choice and adaptation. You gotta go more of the Fanny Rouge. You got you, you mm-hmm. gotta make her a little bit more homely, a little bit less appealing. And, and I mean, this is kind of like Eponine if she didn't have an unexplained change of heart from from, from the first part. Because in the first part of the musical, when you meet her, she's picking on Cosette, very much mm-hmm. kind of enjoying the luxuries of profiting off of Fontaine's plight. Um, and yet somehow by the time we get to the 10 years later in Paris, she's now become the once again, the prostitute with the heart of gold, that type of situation. Mm-hmm. There's some other 
in that gap of 10 years, she's had a change of part of, uh, of her parents' occupation. Don't know what happened there. Um, mm-hmm. But, like, that be, but, like, yeah, this is kind of like Fanny if she if she had stuck with her Tenardier um, right. lineage of being as bad as they come. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, yeah. definitely, yeah, yeah, d- definitely there. Like, Fanny is still very much the Eponine, but she's the evil Eponine. She's kind of like the anti-Eponine. <laughs> Right. If Eponine met Marius while still with her parents, as opposed to yes. breaking free, kind of. Correct. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, no, I love that. So, yeah, so so, so we, we'll definitely keep going with these lamest check-ins, because I, I do find them funny yeah. when you're watching <laughs> to find these random little uh, tie-backs to, what, to where this production was going, and the fact that, like, Clearly, they took a lot of, or not, I want to say they stole because they directed both. So they didn't plagiarize themselves. So, yeah. Before we leave the Lamez check in, Mm -hmm. uh, it's not a comparison that has been drawn yet, but one that I'll be curious to see if it comes up on the horizon. We've yet to have a Val, sorry, not, uh, we've yet to have a Javert archetype that is like the one major character of lame is that i don't yes. think we've seen yet in this so i'm curious yeah about there be uh, some there, kind of... i can i can i can already think of someone who will become that mm-hmm. person so i'm already watching them so keep an eye <laughs> okay i, so, I already kind of so know the... who that's likely gonna <laughs> become that parallel okay, okay um, so put a pin in that till a future yeah. lame is check-in but yes. i just thought hmm, that might be the one area if there is no you know, morally, you know, rigid inspector who's chasing yeah. Nicholas and Spike. But if there is, then, oh, well, you tried to, <laughs> to keep it separate. <laughs> you tried. You tried. Yeah. I mean, other than that, any final thoughts, Ryan? I mean, what are you looking forward to in the next episode? Well, kind of just before we do final thoughts, that one last mm-hmm. check-in that we kind of started last time, too, is how do you feel about episodically this mm. this yes. hour-long segment standing on its own or being like a good episode of television basically yeah yeah i thought it was great uh i thought this one flew a lot faster like i didn't realize i was already like 40 minutes in uh before i did a time check I went oh wow like this like this episode's moving a lot faster i felt it was well paced uh the fact that we pick up almost right when we leave off uh, I thought it was well balanced between the Kate and, Nic- and Nicholas stories. Like we're moving them along at a decent rate with, with each other. That you can feel like they are literally like living parallel lives. Um, and then, and then, yeah, I think it ends on a good spot too. Like as you said, it, it accumulates in where an intermission would end up if if we were yeah. watching the actual four hour part one production. So, mm-hmm. which I'm surprised only has one 15 minute intermission. I would think. In a yeah, four-hour night, two maybe, hours. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. want to put a little bit more intermission in there, or make it like a half-hour break, so like the audience, all audiences have a chance to use the washroom because in fifteen minutes, we know there's not enough time for yeah, everybody. Everyone is going to be charging at the washroom, exactly. <laughs> You know, exactly. after they just got themselves all riled up, cheering on Nicholas and that punch. I know, I love that. That, that was like, I, once again, this I, audience I, interaction I, is great. Well, yeah, I do like that the, this is just like a kind of good quality of pro shot that, you know, cuts to the audience and shows them cheering in that moment. Like, yes. as opposed to like, you know, the one of the worst pro shots, not the worst production, but worst pro shot we reviewed on this show was the Oklahoma one that, filmed a version of it with the audience to cut to 
only at like curtain moments, but otherwise was completely silent the whole time because they clearly mm-hmm. <laughs> filmed most of it without the audience. And wow, this is the most unresponsive audience ever when the cast is like giving these musical numbers. They're all yes, um, yeah, yeah, Oklahoma. <laughs> that, that was that oh. was an interesting one. <laughs> Funny enough, but, yeah, also like, directed by Trevor Nunn. Yes, which we talked about there too. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but yeah, in terms of my thoughts on like the episodic, does mm-hmm. this like, how does this hour fare? I agree. Like, I think this was a really well paced one. I do think if it was an hour of television as opposed to just an hour excerpt from a play, mm-hmm. I think we could do more cross cutting between Nicholas and Kate's storyline. We yeah. very much had 30 minutes of Nicholas, 20 minutes of Kate, last 10 minutes. Yeah, you definitely could intercut them more if you were doing it, But that that's actual, like, that's harder to do in the theater. So I recognize oh, that this isn't the place for it. But if this was like, because we are watching it as yeah. television, very much like this weekly segments, like yeah. I think a, a TV adaptation would find more of like the beats where those two stories can be intercut better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but the thing that really kind of sold me on this hour stands alone quite well is kind of full circle framing with the character of john as we talked about a little already but Mm -hmm. how we have the whole encounter you know with the bridge game early on where he really yeah nicholas gets you know runs afoul of this guy who uh oh we expect him to be maybe an antagonistic force as this goes on because he is flirting with his fiance. (laughs) <laughs> and then when he comes back at the end during a very tense moment and you think, uh oh, he's he's going to be the one who's like, oh, nickel boy, I did not care for you earlier. So now I'm going to bring you back to squares. But then <laughs> we have this like, you know, anti payoff that pays off in a very different way of ha ha ha, I'm such a charming guy and you misjudged me. And here's some money and a stick. Um, so like, yeah, the fact that we saw that character very briefly in episode one, but he didn't become developed until the beginning of this episode is Ah, like a very, very good, like structural, Mm -hmm. like, yeah. If, if you were like making a TV adaptation of this in nine episodes, like this would, this is a very good standalone episode. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I I mean, yeah. Like you forget you meet him and Fanny in episode one because they're so brief at the end at the tail end of the episode and also he's um, a little tilda. more memorable tilda comes in with him yeah. like yeah tilda and john are like yeah, yeah. they're there yeah, tilda and john like they're there in the first episode but you don't get a lot of them it's kind of, it's kind of like smike where once again you're like i know you're important but i don't know when you're gonna show up to make a bigger thing just like mrs mccready as well mm-hmm. like she also is one of those characters that kind of shows yeah. up and it's like I don't fully know where you're going with this. You just have too much going on. You're getting yeah. a little too developed to be a minor character. Like yes. clearly some like which I wouldn't have said the same about Tilda and John in the previous episode, but I do like even if we never see them again, we may or may not, but I feel like their kind of little <laughs> arc could be complete and what you've seen and like this could just be the Tilda and John episode and yeah. like I, I'm happy with that I'm sure we'll at least see Tilda again because you know Fanny has her villain origin in this episode and is going to <laughs> clearly become more of a prominent force and Tilda is her dear friend and yeah. if Tilda's there John will probably be there too but I am very happy with this is just the John arc has come and gone and was the framing device for this episode yeah. Yeah, keep an eye on John. I'll, 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 I'll just say, keep an eye on John. Okay, looking forward to him. Can he I may guess? become kind of like the um, 
the uh, Angera to to to, to Nicolas Marius. Okay, wow, that feels like a spoiler there. I almost would have liked to be surprised by that. <laughs> yeah, you'll see. You'll see. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I, I just or maybe a little less of a Angera, more of a grand tear. Um, okay, cool. That, that, okay. That's a bit, picturing that, where uh, this might go. That's a bit of an analogy. I mean, Grantier from Les Mis is the one that's always dressed in green. It is the drunk one of the group. Yeah. Okay. So keep I, an I eye see, on yeah. him. Yeah. Keep an eye on uh, on, on Mr. Gra- on, on Mr. John. There, he is a character that that is quite interesting. All right, we'll save that discussion till our next Les yeah. check in. But <laughs> next yeah, to, over overall, I was very happy with just the structural pacing of this episode in particular. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I don't. I like I will be very surprised if they can keep this up because it as we said last time, it was not intended to be viewed in these segments. Mm-hmm. So the fact that this felt like a very satisfying episode in its own right, I I I will be very surprised if ever, if we can say the same about every single one moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. I mean I I mean yeah, I mean well well I think next episode will definitely be the test because technically next episode will be start of act two and then we're gonna break midway through the second act of yeah. part one. So we'll see how which well they work that the, moment. Which is what the previous one was. And I th- we both agreed yeah. last time that that was like a fine place to break it. Yeah, kind like, of yeah. Worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once again, like that kind of felt more like a TV pilot where it's like we got to introduce and do the, all the yeah. exposition. So it felt like a good spot where it's like, hey, I feel the board. A lot yeah. of the major characters is now being set. We're good to go. Even if we, Remember? once again, as you said, we meet with them briefly. But like, once again, that board was set in the first episode and now we got to see the pieces move on the board a little bit more. Now. Yeah, it was very much like, OK, you've met everyone. Cool. Take a break and we will yeah. come back with them next time. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So. Um, OK, sorry. So you asked before. I just wanted to make sure we had the the pacing episode by episode check in. Yeah, um, no, that's important. Yeah, no, so no, you're very good catching that. So you you asked what was your like kind of last question you wanted to ask was it just like a last final thought something you yeah, like final to... thoughts before before we head out for for because because we we've hit the hour and, and a little bit over mark so it's, okay. it's, it's the perfect so, time yeah, to kind of start wrapping this one up yeah yeah well there's right, well, duet I, I don't <laughs> that's okay duet does it yeah we try to keep them under yeah. an hour but yes. some episodes will give us more to say than others and I think this sure. one definitely had a lot yes. Um, yeah, so overall, I have no big final thoughts. I, I was happy with this one. Looking forward to seeing where it goes. I do yeah. feel like we've kind of, in a way, reached the end of Act 1 with, mm-hmm. okay, the big inciting incident of, yeah. the <laughs> or punch. the sort of secondary incident, the punch has happened, and now our heroes are on the road for yeah. presumably the adventures of the title to ensue. Yeah. So, I yeah, I'm looking forward to howing it all, seeing how it all plays out. Agreed. I mean, yeah, I mean, this felt like a great natural conclusion. The first two clearly, episode one, episode two clearly go together and make up the first act of part one. So, I mean, this was a nice kind of accumulation now where it's like, you're right, like now it does feel like we're heading off into the roadshow of act two yeah. of part one. Um, so, so we're definitely, and definitely now we're going to see more of Kate's story now that she's got to like, be, like, the first episode didn't set her up too much. This episode really much set her story up of, okay, Let's see how far down the ladder she goes before Nicholas shows up again in her life and rescues her. Um, oh, spoiler. <laughs> it's not a spoiler. It's not a spoiler. We we're, don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> we're equating her to Fontaine in this situation. Fontaine has to suffer yeah. a bit before Valjean shows up and saves her again. 
Well, like, now that her story's yeah, being set up. We don't know. Just because we know what happens in Lane is doesn't mean this <laughs> has to follow the exact same roadmap. And I, while I do sure. certainly expect her to suffer, I was not certain that Nicholas would save her. They kind of do have these divergent paths that may or may not. Well, we know eventually they got to all meet up again. I mean, that, I, 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 the family does have to get back together somehow. Well, in like a perfect sort of neatly tied up melodramatic way, sure. But, you know, Dickens was known for pushing back against a lot of the melodramatic tropes of his day, which is part of what did frustrate him about those like mm-hmm. dinosaur adaptations yeah. that were really putting the melodrama back into it, especially when they had to decide their own endings halfway <laughs> through publication. <laughs> yeah. So I I wasn't going to assume that it's going in the obvious predictable way, but yeah. we will see. We will see. But there we go. We, we, we will leave it there. Just as... Just as Mike and Nickleby hit the road, we will see you on the road next week with episode three of Nicholas Nickleby. Uh, Thank you, everybody, so much for tuning in for episode two of nine. Uh, We will see you all next week. In the meantime, Ryan, give us that classic social media send off. I'm not active on social media. So just follow Cup of Hemlock, share the love there. Literally everything I post is just sharing Cup of Hemlock stuff anyway. And yeah, please like, share, and subscribe. Never miss an episode. If you're enjoying this series, get in the comments and tell us how much you enjoyed this or that episode of Nicholas Nickleby. Keep this dialogue going. Indeed, indeed. Yes, uh, you can follow me at Mackenzie Horner on all social media platforms. You also can follow uh, my podcast before the downbeat. Ryan, why don't you tell the audience before we go a little bit about our sonnet series that we've launched? Yes. So we have launched here at Cup of Hemlock a Shakespeare sonnet reading series, which mm-hmm. we're doing our best to compile uh, 154 actors, performers, poets, theater enthusiasts of all stripes to come together digitally, of course. Mm-hmm. And each one of them will choose a sonnet from a list that we have below. Link in the description if you would like to participate. You select a sonnet, it's very easy, and just make a short video of yourself reading the sonnet, followed by a few words about your own relationship to theater and why you think theater is important today. And we're really trying to create like a fun connecting project to renew a lot of people's hope for the state of theater during this pandemic. So uh, we encourage anyone watching this to get an the description follow that link we would love to have you participate even if we don't know you personally 154 is a big number so help us fill it and we will promote you and your performance on this very channel that you're watching right now yeah absolutely absolutely so yeah check that out uh and until next time everybody stay healthy stay safe and have a great rest of your week we'll see you next week thanks everybody bye